Hey, it's Tony, oh. and I'm a liar. <laughs> what? That's what I was, that could be your intro. Well, <laughs> hey, my name's Tony, and I'm a liar. How are you, Flo? <laughs> Flo, I'm Flo, and I'm lazy. Did you know? Just give it out our sins. <laughs> did you know that a star... wait? Tell them what we're doing. What do you mean, what we're doing? So this is a game, y'all. Did you know? No, I'm just gonna. Okay, I'm gonna. Say a fun space fact, and Flo's going to try and guess if it's real or not. Or if he's making it up and see if he's a liar. Okay, hit me. <laughs> I feel like I'm 12. <laughs> Go. There are stars. True. <laughs> stars Easy. in the universe that can spin up to 500 times per second. False. Why? Because you had a lying face on. <laughs> and stars don't spin. They gyrate. <laughs> no, 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 no. Stars spin. <laughs> Definitely spin. Um, and the fact was true. Stars, they're okay. stars that spin up to 600 times per second. You said 500, so I was right. Oh. Up to 600. That includes 500. Well, well then. <laughs> I guess on this episode of Tony's a Liar, that myth has been debunked. Welcome to the Space But Mystery podcast, everyone. I am Tony. And I'm Flo. And today's topic <laughs> is so, so cool. We're talking about Galileo. <laughs> As promised in the last episode, it was brought on by a little impromptu Bohemian Rhapsody performance yes. for you. We will save you from that experience. Yes. But it happened. But it did. But first and foremost today, we do want to thank our Patreon supporters, Anthony DiBernardo, Kelly DiBernardo, Taylor DiBernardo, Vincent DiBernardo, Ed Gonzalez, and Matt and Erica Zemanek. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey. For those of you who have not supported yet, uh, Flo and I, we love doing this podcast. We love going to events, and there's one coming up called the International Space Development Conference that we really want to go to, but we can't afford it, and we want to cover it for this podcast. Our goal is to share and educate as many people as possible about space, the universe, astronomy, current events, and we want to inspire you to, you know, explore space in your own way. So please consider joining us on this journey. If this is a goal for yours as well, and you don't know how you can contribute, by all means, please join us. You can go to patreon.com slash messier, or you can go to our website to contribute as well. Your support would be so appreciated. So appreciated. Yeah, we have all the interest in getting there, and we have the time. And luckily, because we live so close to Los Angeles, we have the ability to get there. We just need some help. And so if you have the funds, we can partner in this and get there together. You can contribute for as little as a dollar a month. A dollar a month is forgettable. By all means, please consider it. We also have $5 a month, $20 a month, $35 a month, and $50 a month. Some of them come with stickers, t-shirts, and you also get to ask anything on our Patreon page and we'll feature you on the show and we'll ask your question and answer it. We do have one of those coming later. And every single person who supports us on Patreon will get a shout out too. So please consider it. And that's all I have to say. I'm done asking for money. Yep. Thank you for listening. Excellent. All right. We've got some news today. NASA has finally chosen a new leader and we call them administrators at NASA. But since Charles Bolden stepped down in January of 2017, this position has been vacant. Uh, but Trump then proposed Jim Bridenstine and he has officially been confirmed by Congress. He was a Navy pilot. He managed the Air and Space Museum in Tulsa and he's on the House committee that oversees NASA. But 
other than that, he really has no other qualifying experience. Seeing as Trump appointed him and the Trump administration itself tried gutting NASA of all earth science and climate research last year, I'm hesitant that it will be good, but we'll see. So we'll keep an eye out for it. Hopefully he keeps all the same values that NASA has in the past, but we will see. Mm-hmm. Best of luck to you, Jim. Welcome aboard. In SpaceX news, SpaceX. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> We have a SpaceX segment on our show now. Oh, we really, like, it's deserving. Welcome to the official SpaceX podcast. There we go. Here we go. They have launched NASA's exoplanet hunting spacecraft called TESS, which is so cute, successfully into space and landed back on Earth again as a reusable rocket. SpaceX also received approval in order to build its BFR, Big Falcon rocket, and spaceship (laughs) in the port of Los Angeles. It's so huge that it actually won't fit on any roads and will have to be transported by barge, which is a massive flat boat through the Panama Canal to Cape Canaveral, Florida. Why is this important, though? It's important because the BFR is Big currently... Big Falcon rocket. Sorry. <laughs> the most promising option as a spaceship to transport humanity to Mars. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I think I want to go. To Mars? Maybe when I'm older. What? That's so weird that this is a real conversation that we can have. <laughs> I know. You don't sound like a crazy person. <laughs> I know. I would have sounded like a crazy person, like, I don't know. Ray Bradbury days? Galileo days. (laughs) Galileo sounded like a crazy person? No way. What? Let's get into it. Today, we're going to talk about Galileo Galilei, who also has an incredible name. So why are we talking about Galileo? Last episode, we talked about NASA's latest mission to Europa, um, the Europa Clipper, and we even included an interview with... Bob Ackfordozy. Yeah, our dude. Which was awesome. Who, it was so cool meeting him. So cool. Who worked on that project. He has, or blue, is working he has a blue mohawk, project. everyone. Yeah, it's blue. Go check us out. Did we post his picture on the Instagram? Yes, we did. Yes, he is on the Instagram. Nice. Okay, check out the Instagram to see Bo back. Um, so we talked about the Europa Clipper, and we mentioned that Jupiter's moon Europa is one of the four Galilean moons. And these moons have curious names. Mm-hmm. So side note before we get into that, if you've ever wondered where the planets and moons get their names, we trace it all the way back to Roman mythology. So Jupiter, Mars, Saturn, Venus, and Mercury were all named after Roman gods because these were the planets that early Romans could see without a telescope. Then we continued the tradition. For example... Right. So Mercury is the Roman winged messenger. It's the winged god of travel because he moves super fast like Mercury does. Venus is the Roman goddess of love. I'm assuming because Venus looks really beautiful. Mm-hmm, it's the brightest mm-hmm. thing in the sky. Well, besides our sun. <laughs> Mars is the Roman god of war. I'm assuming because it's red, like blood, maybe? Yeah. Possibly. Jupiter is the chief Roman god. And Jupiter is the is the king of the gods. And that's an elected position, I guess, in Roman mythology. But it's basically the same, the equivalent of Greek mythology's Zeus. Saturn is the former Roman god of agriculture. Um, but he was replaced by his daughter, Ceres. Now, Ceres is also the name of a dwarf planet. And it's the largest object in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. Uranus is the former Roman god of the sky who was replaced by his grandson, Jupiter. Neptune is the Roman lord of the sea. And Pluto, why is he on this list? Anyway. Because he's a planet. He was a planet when he was named. Pluto is a Roman lord of the underworld. The Romans saw Jupiter as the equivalent to Zeus, like I said, in Greek mythology. And German astronomer Simon Marius named its four moons after Jupiter's lovers, Io, Ganymede, Callisto, and Europa. However, and I know we've told this story on the podcast before, Jupiter has 67 moons. Each of them were continued to be named after lovers of Jupiter, and when those names ran out, names of those children with the lovers were used. Then at long last, we sent a spacecraft there to scope things out, and of course, 
NASA, so funny and hilarious, named it Juno <laughs> after Jupiter's wife. Well done, NASA. Well Thank done, you for that. NASA. So that's a little bit of background on the names of these planets and moons, but let's get back to Galileo. Galileo was the first person ever to discover moons around another planet in our solar system, and he did this in the year 1610. He's also credited with first observing the rings of Saturn, the phases of Venus, sunspots on our very own sun, and the shadowed lunar surface. The reason why he's so fascinating for us is his story of discovering and trying to spread the truth that the Earth orbited the sun, not the other way around. So at every other turn, he was stopped by multiple different groups. So it was either the Roman Catholic Church or the other churches that branched off after the Reformation, who just understood the Bible to be far too literal to allow for his outlandish ideas, or the people who held true to Aristotle's and Ptolemy's geocentric ideas so much that they thought Galileo was heretical and insane. Yes, big words there. Maybe not for some of you, but geocentric is the belief that Earth is the center. Geo centric earth is the center of not only our i guess you can't call it a solar system if it's a planet at the middle our planetary system mm. um, but that earth was the center of the universe so geocentric is earth centered heliocentric is sun centered helio is the root word we use for sun it's also the name of nasa's division that studies the sun called heliophysics um, so we have that and then heretical just meaning opposing the doctrine of the church. We're going to be using the words geocentric and heliocentric a lot. Uh, heliocentric with the sun at the center is also called the Copernican theory because it was brought forth by Nicholas Copernicus. So a, a little bit of background on Galileo before we dive into his crazy life. Galileo Galilei was born in Pisa, Italy in 1564. In 1581, he started at the University of Pisa studying medicine, but was soon drawn to the study of mathematics. After school, he went on to become the chair of mathematics at the universities of Pisa and then Padua, centering most of his studies on the mathematics and physics of falling bodies. With that research, he eventually published Du Motu, or On Motion, a work that contradicted Aristotle's views of motion and falling objects. Galileo gave popular lectures, many large crowds, which spread his fame and got people talking. That all being said, it was actually his homemade telescope that really catapulted him into upsetting the church and the norm and everyone. At this point, everyone knew that the Earth was not only the center of our planetary system, but the center of the universe. In 1604, Galileo built his very own telescope. He noticed that the moons orbited Jupiter, confirming that not everything orbited just the Earth. He also saw that Venus had shadowed phases like the moon, but they were not the same, super inconsistent and nothing like the moons. In one of his other major discoveries that locked in his belief for a sun-centered or heliocentric system was the moon's bumpy and shadowed surface, that its phases came from our orbit around the sun. All of this, however, contradicted Aristotle's teaching and the established order defined by the Catholic Church. Yeah, and contradicting Aristotle and the church brings some resistance. So in 1613, Galileo wrote a letter to a student basically saying that the Copernican theory or the heliocentric theory didn't actually contradict passages from the Bible and that the sun was indeed the center of the solar system. This letter was then made public and the church denounced the Copernican theory, naming it heretical and thus ordered Galileo in 1616 not to quote, hold, teach, or defend in any manner the Copernican theory. Galileo obeyed this order for seven years, partly because he was a devout Catholic and partly to relieve pressure and allow him to continue research. Then in 1623, Galileo's friend was elected Pope Urban VIII. 
I know Roman numerals. I'm Catholic. And he allowed Galileo to pursue his work again on the condition that everything written about this heliocentric theory was objective and not proclaiming it as truth. What did he do? In 1632, he published Dialogue Concerning the Two Chief World Systems. And well, he, he proclaimed it as truth. <laughs> yeah, he didn't follow rules very well. Not very well at all. Catholic. And it was his friend, too. Yeah. Pope Urban. Yeah, that didn't set him with good graces with the pope that he was pissed but fun fact of the day that makes sense yeah so galileo was summoned to rome and trialed for over a year now there was a lot of people who think that during this year he was beaten and tortured not at all actually these guards would come back and say that no up until that point they had never had a prisoner quote unquote prisoner who was treated as well as they did galileo but when they finally threatened him with torture he finally admitted to supporting the theory that the sun was at the center of the universe. He was convicted of heresy, and due to his old age, he actually lived the last eight years of his life under house arrest. So it's said that back back in the day when they were figuring out his consequences, that supporting it would get you arrested. But if you proclaimed it as the truth, because those are different, then graver consequences, it says. Now, it doesn't say that they would kill him, but it says graver consequences. They just arrested him, but still he stood up to his inquisitors right before he left for home and spoke the words, Epur si muove, which means, even so, it does move. So we don't know why he was only put under house arrest. Speaking, of course, the truth that earth moves and cannot be the center of the universe, clearly bypassed or ignored, he was ordered not to have any visitors and not to have any of his works printed outside of Italy. And naturally, good old Galileo, again, he ignored both of those, spreading his works to France and Holland. And while under house arrest, he also wrote two new sciences and eventually became blind, extremely ill, and died on January 8th, 1642. Hmm. So over 100 years later, in 1758, partially due to just the spreading of his works, the church could no longer deny the evidence of opposing scientific explanations and dropped its ban on publishing the works supporting the Copernican theory. And by 1835, the church disposed of its opposition to heliocentrism in general. But then finally, in 1992, Pope John Paul II, JP2, hype hype, best pope ever, <laughs> rectified one of the church's most infamous wrongs of condemning Galileo and asked for pardon. And this was seen throughout history as one of the main pillars that separated science and religion. But by rectifying this, it confirmed that science and religion are in fact completely complementary and that they support and explain one another for theories concerning the beginning of the earth and our universe. I will tell you that we hold our promises true. We told you we'd do an entire episode about Galileo, and we did. Mm -hmm. And we, I'm telling you now, there's, we could do 10 episodes on the balance, the perceived opposition um, of science and faith. Ooh, I would love that. And we will. It's such an interesting topic. But for those of you who don't know, uh, the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, now holds probably the most agreed upon beliefs in the scientific community as well. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, um, Catholic Church is cool with that. Theory of evolution. Catholic Church. Catholic priests started the Big Bang Theory. That's true. So, yeah. And the theory of evolution. Catholic Church is on board with that as well. Now they do recognize that they're theories, but the Roman Catholic Church has come a long way. Mm -hmm. So, if you are a, if you believe in science, (laughs) (laughs) don't, what is it? Don't get mad at me just because I believe in science. What is that? Is that from Um, Nacho Libre? Libre? (laughs) I don't know oh, the yeah, line. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, can't do the line. 
How come you have not been baptized? Yes, that. <laughs> if you guys think that you believe in science and you cannot believe in religion, do some research on the Catholic Church. It is pretty rad. Mm-hmm, and pretty darn scientific. And that, my friends, is Galileo Galilei. Thank you so much. Who am I thanking? Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Galileo. For educating us. And thank you, Galileo, for all the work you did and for being a stellar example of persistence and tenacity. Stellar. Very good. <laughs> thank you. Well done. A little mini segment. Question time. <laughs> That's our transition. <laughs> all right. Now we are transitioning to one of our Patreon segments. We will answer questions to people who are a Patreon supporter that support us at the $20 a month level. However, we currently don't have any of those supporters. So my friend Kyle Froland um, has a friend that had a question for us. And so I thought we'd ask this question on the show. So Angela Cunningham from Poway, California. Hello. Nice to meet you. Time to get your question answered on Space But Messier. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your question. Okay. So this is a two-part question. So part one, how do we decide who has the right to mine, colonize, and set up their stuff or do anything on the moon? And part two, if and when there are multiple private entities working or living on the moon, who governs them? Okay. I thought this was a simple question. No, Angela was really thinking about the moon. About six U.S. documents later, I found that it was not. Um, So basically, who has the right to mine, colonize, and set up their stuff? And then who governs all of this? So the answer lies in the Outer Space Treaty. Agreed upon in 1967 and signed by over 50 major countries, it states plainly that anyone can go to the moon, but no nation can claim ownership to any part of the moon. They can set up base there, but no sort of governance has been approved by the UN or outlined in this treaty. Now, what I'm about to read you guys is very wordy. I took out the five most important, well, the five most relevant articles from this treaty to answer this question. I'm telling you right now, if you listen closely, they're super interesting. But this is going to be like two straight minutes of political documents. So uh, you can totally skip this if you want. But I encourage you to stay. So in Article 1, it says that the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, shall be carried out for the benefit and in all interests of all countries, irrespective of their degree of economic or scientific development, and shall be the province of all mankind. Outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, that will be said every time, by the way, (laughs) shall be free for exploration and use by all states without discrimination of any kind on a basis of equality and in accordance with the international law, and there shall be free access to all areas of celestial bodies. There shall be freedom of scientific investigation in outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, and states shall facilitate and encourage international cooperation in such investigation. Article 2 then says that outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, is not subject to national appropriation by claim of sovereignty, by means of use or occupation, or by any other means. So you can land there, but you can't own anything. Mm -hmm. But this is fine because countries have actually signed and agreed on this. So Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So Article 3 says that states, parties to the treaty... Is that right? I don't know why it's worded like that, but it's what it says. States parties to the treaty shall carry on activities in the exploration and use of outer space, including the moon and other celestial bodies, in accordance with international law, including the Charter of the United Nations, in the interest of maintaining international peace and security and promoting international cooperation and understanding. All right. These last two are crazy. 
super relevant to the question. Article 4, states parties to the treaty undertake not to place in orbit around the Earth any objects carrying nuclear weapons or any kinds of weapons of mass destruction, install such weapons on celestial bodies, or station such weapons in outer space in any other manner. The moon and other celestial bodies shall be used by all states parties to the treaty exclusively for peaceful purposes. The establishment of military bases, installations, and fortifications, the testing of any type of weapon, weapons, and the conduct of military maneuvers on celestial bodies shall be forbidden. The use of military personnel for scientific research or for any other peaceful purposes shall not be prohibited. The use of any equipment or facility necessary for peaceful exploration on the moon and other celestial bodies shall also not be prohibited. And lastly, Station 5, all stations, installations, equipment, and space vehicles on the moon and other celestial bodies shall be open to representatives of other states' parties to the treaty on basis of reciprocity. Such representatives shall give reasonable advance notice of a projected visit in order that appropriate consultations may be held that maximum precautions may be taken to assure safety and to avoid interference with normal operations in the facility to be visited. So... What that means is that we put the Apollo lander on the, on the moon. Any country can go and use that site. They just have to tell us in advance and ask if there's anything um, regarding safety or security that they need to know about to hold a safe mission. Mm -hmm. So once it's on the moon, you don't own anything. When Elon, Musk's want, when Elon Musk wants to go to Mars, he, I don't know how he's going to govern and own land out there or what's going to happen, but we're going to need an updated treaty. Yeah. So, Angela, I hope that answers your question. Great question. Great question, Angela. Thank you so much for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's we just finished our first double digit episode. Yes. This is episode 10. Well done. Oh, so thank you. And for those of you who joined in that applaud. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Please put both hands back on the wheel, though, because we know <laughs> most people listen while driving. Um, and it was completely intentional that we did an episode that involved the moon when and, it's episode 10. And other celestial zero, bodies. And other celestial bodies. <laughs> because the zero looks like a moon or other that. celestial bodies. It really does. The shape. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Angela, for your questions. Thank you, all of our Patreon supporters. And thank you to all of our future Patreon supporters. But most of all, thank you for listening. And I hope you're having the best day of your entire life. We love doing this. We love doing it for you. And you guys uh, continue to make it happen. So have a great rest of your day. And thank you for joining us as we set sail for the moon and other celestial bodies. I was going to say! <laughs> <laughs>